welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. No pressure coming out of worship like that. I feel like a, a noodle. I just want to lay down on the floor. If anyone wants to lay down on the floor, I won't be offended during this message. Because that's all I want to do is just lay down on the floor. Um, yeah, I mean, Landon and Paul both said it. That worshiping God, being in his presence, that's what it's all about. Like, it feels kind of ridiculous to get up here and try and talk right now. Because it is just all about him. It's all about him. It's all about what he says to us. Individually, getting a word from God is, is what we need to do every day of our lives. We come to church together to get encouraged, to see the words that God has given everyone in the room. We come together and we see what God is doing and we should leave here encouraged. Coming together is so important. And 2020 made it really hard. And so I think it's a, a really beautiful thing that we have all persevered and we are gathering. It wasn't easy and it's not going to be easy. Uh, one of the words that I feel, I just want to share this for 2021. Doesn't it feel good to say that? Who wants to never say 2020 again or hear anyone say that? Every Sunday, someone says it on the mic up here, including me, and I'm like, oh, let's not even say that word anymore. Um, one of the words that I felt for our body uh, for 2021 is uh, breaking bread, breaking bread. I feel like 2021 is going to sound like breaking bread, and what that means is coming together, joining each other, sitting around the table, having food together, just being together. Togetherness is so, so valuable. And I think we all felt it last year, losing the ability to be together in person. And so I really feel this year is going to be just such a gift to get to be together. Doesn't that sound good? The sound of breaking bread, the ability to gather. All right. Maybe you don't like that word. Maybe you're an introvert. I'm an introvert, and it still excites me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to have people sit at my kitchen table. Not, not like a lot of people and not like every day, mostly just in my imagination. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, we are talking about core values. We're on a sermon series of core values, and I get to talk about celebrating everyone's value and significance. There it is, celebrating everyone's value and significance. This has been a core value that has completely changed my life. It, it has been something that I have walked out, something I have chewed on, something that continues to pull me in to living the life God has for me. We call these our core values here at Cedar House Church, but these are God's core values. These are the values in his kingdom that are highlighted to us and that we want to make sure our house is known for. We want to make sure that we are known as a people who celebrate each other. Isn't that a, a body you want to be part of? No one ever says, I want to be part of the body that tears me down. Right? Like, wake up, okay, shame, let's go, tell me how horrible I am, how I'm not valuable and I'm not significant. It's hard enough to get up every day than to gather around people who bring you down. Nobody wants that. And that's not our God. Our God is good. Our God is our biggest cheerleader. Right? His voice that convicts us is loving kindness, his voice that leads us to change and to grow and go from, go from glory to glory is goodness. 
He doesn't tear us down. He is not the voice of condemnation. And we have gotten this so wrong for so long in the church that people have been beat down in the name of God. They've been beat down, and we have told them that's God's voice, and it's just not. I want to hit something. That is not God. Doesn't everyone need to hear that? It is not God to make you feel like crap. Should have, would have, could have, have to, not God's language. What you can be, who you can become, what I see on your life, that is God's language. I'm really passionate about that. Because I had it wrong for so long, and I didn't even grow up in the church. And then I met people that grew up in the church, and they were so beat down in the name of God. They were so beat down in the name of love. Do you know how much that messes with your mind? We can't even think right. We can't even read the Bible without feeling like crap. We're supposed to read the Bible and feel lifted up. We're supposed to gather in church and feel encouraged. So that's, uh, that's what I'm passionate about in this core value. All right, I'm going to read this slide. It says this. No one has ever been left out or overlooked. That's a truth bomb right there. No one has ever been left out or overlooked. The value he places on us models the value we place on others. We choose to champion individuality. We're going to read Mark 12, 28. This is the greatest commandment. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important was is to love the babies and let them have space. For real, though, like, that's not the problem. All right. As to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no one commandment greater than these. Isn't that so like God? Which, in, which one's the most important? All three. Which one? Yes. Which one do I do first? Yes. Because we're not in law, we're in relationship. How do we love God, love others, and love ourselves at the same time all the time? Love, love, love. He is love, love. Love is the answer to all of it. What we're doing in worship is we're just loving God and we're feeling the love of God and we're just going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And we have to do that because there's a lot of conflict around in the world right now. And if we do that, then when we're around each other and we disagree, we can have love come out, not hate. We can give the love he gives us freely. We can freely give it away. And that's what we're called to do. That's what valuing everyone's significance is. We can only love to the degree we're able to receive that love from God. We can only love others to the degree we love ourselves. They don't teach you that in church, right? Serve, 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 do, 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 do. Serve yourself. Do for yourself. And then you can serve others and you can do for others. But we have to first get it from God. We have to get everything from him. We have to get our word, our daily bread, our affirmation, our identity. If we don't, we walk around and make a mess. And we call it God, and we call it church, and we call it love. And we give this really good father a really bad rap. 
to give him a really bad reputation. We don't need to do that right now. God's marked each one of us with uniqueness. Isn't this amazing? U2 has this song, we're each one of a kind. Like, that's a lot of one of a kinds. Like, not even twins are the same. God has given us so much individuality and uniqueness on this earth. That is mind-blowing. We categorize everybody into, like, the DISC assessment and Myers-Briggs and Enneagram, and we're like, okay, here's the nines, here's the eights, watch out, here's the sevens, here's the sixes. No, we are all one of a kind. We're not supposed to, and this isn't against personality types, I love them, we're not supposed to expect everyone to be the same. How horrible is that? Do you want the person across from you to be like, hey, you don't even have to talk, I know who you are. I got your whole story figured out. That'd be terrible, right? Talk about be misunderstood. We are all one of a kind, and we're supposed to be individuals gathered together in one body, in one group. We're supposed to be so different, supposed to look different and think different and vote different. We're supposed to vote different. We're supposed to act different. We're supposed to have different opinions, right? And we're supposed to love each other despite it. And I would go even further. We're, we're not supposed to just love each other despite it. We're supposed to learn from one another. We're supposed to go, oh, you voted differently than me? Come and sit next to me and break bread with me. Here's a chair. Let me pull it out for you. I want to learn from you. You have something to offer me because there's something that you know that I don't know, that you would value something differently than me. And it's so much easier to gather in huddles over the me I see in them instead of the Jesus that's in them and go, you voted that way, I voted that way. They're wrong, we're right. We're not supposed to do that. That's judgment. My right is my right. Your right is your right. You heard Paul talk about all these amazing things going on in the church. They're in the inner city. They're doing photography. She's in the schools. Who's right? Who's wrong? The dentist? The doctor? The stay-at-home mom? We are not supposed to live the same life. We're not supposed to have the same job. We're not supposed to look the same, but we are supposed to bring heaven to earth. We're supposed to bring heaven to earth in our field, in our avenue, and not think we're right for anybody else. My right, my right. And I have to be humble enough to be able to hear what you're doing in life and not impose my way. Because we're in a relationship gospel where God is speaking to each one of us uniquely and differently. We've all been part of groups where everyone looks the same and all it does is make everyone feel like they don't belong. We all belong because of Jesus. Our big yes is Jesus. All our little no's and our differences can fit when we have the one thing, the one thing. When we have Jesus as our big yes. I hit on politics because it seems to be the reason we all give ourselves permission to hate each other right now. And it's just not okay. We have to see everyone's value and significance. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12, 25. This is about the body and all the parts and the different gifts. And as I read this, I want you to think about 
what I've been talking about, about the differences and the importance of the differences and how easy it is to look upon different things and put them down. It says this, Just as one body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, picture that, it's like revelations right there, and the eyes, and the, okay, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gift of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greatest, the greater gift, and yet I will show you the most excellent way, love. I read all that to get to that, love. That was a mouthful. Love, love, love. Love is the greatest way. We're all called to be unified in love, not the things we disagree on, but our God who is love. It's good news. It's very, very good news, isn't it? Did you guys follow me through all those scriptures right there? That was a lot. All right. I thought about having like a voiceover, like someone else read it or like play my Bible app for you, but I thought that might be kind of boring. It's okay. Um, so... <laughs> um, I want to tell you a story. In 2020, I had a relationship that I honestly just thought, like, it's over. Like, let's just call it what it is. Let's just go on our separate ways. Let's find peace. Let's just, you know, move on. Both sides were offended. Both sides were hurt. Both sides thought they were right. And the other person was wrong. And it was go it went on for most of the year and it was it was like gut wrenching the whole time. You know, it was horrible. I wanted to escape it. I wanted to escape in my mind. I wanted to escape it actually and run away from it. And then one day God spoke his voice that is so wonderful and he said, 
Stacy, I didn't call you to love people when. I didn't call you to love people when you get your needs met. I didn't call you to love people when they love you the way you want to be loved. I didn't call you to have this love that you can give and withhold. I just called you to love, period. And I was like, uh, but I'm right, right? Like, I'm still right in my argument, and that person's wrong. But that's the thing. All the different jobs, all the different avenues, all the different opinions, all the different stories have room at the table. There's room for my rightness, and there's room for this other person's rightness. You know, mine's more right. There's room for, I'm just kidding, but, I mean, the counseling thing. Uh, <laughs> No, there really is. There's room for all of us to be heard, and we let the thought that one of us has to be more right, this need for hierarchy, this need to find our value and significance in being right instead of our identity in God, drive us apart. And God told me that, and you know when he speaks because it's like the still small voice that like shatters everything. And you can fight it all you want, but you know you know you're wrong, and you know he's right, and you know you're going to follow what he says. And that was my moment, and I was just like, man, how did I get so off? How did I get so self-focused? How did I, I mean, I think I was better at loving than this, right? At least before 2020. I was really good at loving people. And I did. I fell for the lie that if I make my life about me, and I get everyone to meet my needs and be there the way I need them to be there, that I will be happy. But all that did was give me anxiety, lots and lots of anxiety, because I was trying to control how I got my needs met. I was trying to control and manipulate when I would give love and when I would withhold love, when I would be silent and when I would give lots of words when I would give my time and attention and when I wouldn't, trying to get my needs met. And God just called me out on it. And I knew that. I know the scriptures. I know it says to lay our lives down for one another. I know it says to value others better than myself. But I was like, but when they do this, I will do that. Because I have this list of wrongs that have been done against me, and I have evidence that I can stand on and make my case. But you know what? That's not God's way. That's the devil's way. And it led me into hell, like hell, daily hell, living with contractual love, living with this contract. It was horrible. And as soon as I said yes to God, as soon as I said, you're right, my job's to love, all right. Inside, I was a little scared, like, but uh, my capacity, I'm going to, like, run dry. I'm going to get tired. I'm not going to be able to just give, 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 Right? No, that's not true either, because we have rivers of living water flowing through us, access to him all the time, in every situation, in every need. All we have to do is say, oh, God, I feel tired. I feel run dry. I feel like I can't go anymore. And we have to let him love us. Be with them, Jesus. For real. We never run dry. And we can't live with that thought. We serve a God of abundance, a never-ending, of never-ending resources. All right, so why do we do this? Why do we withhold love? Why do we, like, think, I can't live like that? I can't live giving myself away. I can't lay my life down for people. They don't do it for me. I can't do that. 
we, we have these roadblocks, and I think we have two things that come in the way. Judgment, giving ourselves permission to judge, and giving ourselves permission to break our commitments. So if you don't think you have a commitment problem or a judgment problem, because you might not. You might not realize it. You might be like, I'm living my life for me, and it's working great. You can ask yourself this. Do you stick around when, when relationships get hard? My child's outside the door. Like, if of all my four kids, that would be the one. She's like, I'm here, I'm here. I'll go where I want to be. Um, ask yourselves, what do I do when relationships are hard? Do I stay or do I run? And maybe you physically stay, and you feel really good about that and really proud of yourself, but you emotionally withdraw. Maybe you withhold your love, you withhold your service, you withhold from that person, you wait till they do something, you make people earn your trust, you make people earn your love. These are all things we say all the time in our society. Like, oh, that person broke my trust, withdraw. Oh, that person doesn't earn my love. That person doesn't qualify, but that's just not it. We all qualify to be loved. We all have the ability to be lovable and to be trusted. We get that from God and we give it freely because we're given freely. Trust isn't earned and love isn't earned. Amen? So how do we, um, how do we do this? How do we get past our commitment issues and not flee when things are hard? And how do we get past our need to judge one another when we think we're right? Love, love. How do we hold our convictions, right? We want to be these Christians that are like, this is my conviction and I'm not moving because this is biblical and this is scripture and this is what God has called me to do. How do we do that yet leave room for our brothers and sisters' convictions and not turn and judge each other when they're different? Because we're all called to have our own convictions. Follow scripture but have our own convictions. All right. So our commitment problems come because we are a little bit pain avoidant, right? I don't know about you, but my nervous system is like pain, run, right? This hurts, get out as fast as possible, right? So we have to have a little self-control. When things are hard, we have to read the scripture that says value others above ourselves. If I run, what's that going to do to the other person? Probably feel really bad probably feel like abandonment. How many people have abandonment issues? You don't have to raise your hand. Likely everyone. Those abandoned, abandon, right? Okay, so we got to deal with that. We can't be people who run when things are hard. It's like the person in the middle of surgery jumps up off the table and just runs, and they're bleeding everywhere. And they bleed all over the place and all over people who never cut them. And that's what we do when we run from situations and we run from pain. And the sneaky lie is we only get a moment of relief, a little instant gratification from the pain because the pain is in here and it's waiting for us in the next church, in the next community, in the next marriage, in the next job, in the next relationship, in the next situation. We got to deal with it. We got to have some self-control and maturity and just hold tight Sit in the pain just long enough to work through the conflict and let God bring healing. 
and restoration and redemption to our relationships. Cannot be people who quit our commitments quickly. We have to have a big yes to Jesus. Chris Ballatin has this great quote, and I really love it. It says, find your people and you'll find your destiny. We are created to be in community. We are created to be in community. In community, we get breakthrough, and breakthrough is sustained. When we run from community and we go into isolation, it's like an island of toxicity, and we get to make up the rules, the stories about everyone else, and we get to have normals that are toxic, and we never know it. And we think it's okay because we keep our demons at bay because we're never triggered, but we're not called to keep our (laughs) demons at bay. We are called to get free. Christ died for us to be free. We are not called to be in bondage or manage anxiety. If I had left that relationship, I would have thought my anxiety left with it, but it wouldn't have because I was part of the relationship and my issues were part of the relationship. And I had to sit in it and get free. And it was hard and it cost me a lot. But I am free of a lot of the things that I wouldn't have been if I had run. All right, that's our commitment issues. Now judgment. (sighs) For real. All right. I already talked about all the differences, right? People who do this versus that, your call, their call. We can't can't rank it who's right, who's more right, who's better. That's just shame. That's not God. We can't say if one person does this, they're right, and this person does that, they're wrong. And I'm not talking about anti-Bible, anti-scripture, jobs, calls, things like that. If you're ministering to the poor, how do you minister to the poor and not look down at those ministering to the rich? If you're a missionary in a third world country, how do you honor the person that's ministering in the suburbs? It's easy because we value what we're doing, but we can't value what we're doing so much that we put other people down. The scripture tells us not to judge. Matthew 7, 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Anytime someone comes to me and is like, hey, you know this person? I feel so judged around them. I listen, and then I ask them, like, you know this scripture. If you're feeling judged, just backtrack. Where are you measuring people? And a lot of times, we're measuring ourselves wrong. But the measure we judge, we will be judged. That scripture terrifies me. I mean, I don't even want to talk. I, I don't, I don't want to let any judgment out at all. But judgment's in our heart. And God is so concerned about our hearts being revived. He's so concerned about our hearts being revived because that is how a community has revival. And I really believe that's what God's doing in this year, in this season. All right, so here's a big problem in the church, this thing called discernment. There was this meme I wanted to play. It's really funny. It's all about discernment and discernment. The joke is in Christians, in Christianity, we, uh, we tear people down and we judge and we call it discernment. We use this information we get from our good father who loves me the same as you and we're all his favorites. And we use it to puff ourselves up and have hierarchy over each other. Again, because we don't get our identity from God. So we have this need to be valuable, and we find it in putting other people down. 
God gives us information and we discern what to do with it by how to love others better. How do I draw near to that person? Oh, God told me this about them. Now I know how to love them better. Not God told me this about them so I can go look down on them and talk bad about them and point at their weaknesses. Ouch. Has anyone had that happen to them? Has anyone done that to other people? We have. We do it because we want to feel good about ourselves, and it's a really quick way to feel super spiritual. God told me this. I'm discerning. I'm really discerning. Does your discernment leave you, lead you to love people better or to put people down? Because if it's putting them down, it's judgment. We cannot call putting people down discernment, one, because it's mean, two, because it gives our father a really bad name. And the church has done this for far too long, and we cannot do it. Cannot tear people down and call it love. <coughs> Judgment is evil. Is partnering with the voice of the accuser. Discernment is holy. It is partnering with the voice of God. It is valuing everyone's significance. It is pulling the gold that God gives us for each other. It is getting the eyes of God to see one another. And that is what we're called to do. We're not called to get puffed up by information about one another and tear each other apart, call each other out. Pride does that to us, though. It deceives us into partnering with the accusation against one another. We've all accused somebody. And when we do that, we are partnering with the voice of accusation, which is the enemy. Danny Silk has this quote. He says, deception is when we make ourselves the boss and expect others to change. I love that quote so much. Right? Because we do it. And anytime we're around people that do that, like, oh, you just don't know. Let me let you know what I know so that you can change. It doesn't feel good. You're like, I don't know what this thing is in me, but I don't like being around that. It's because it's judgment and it's deception and it's not good. It's not love. It's not moving in love. Anytime we think we know what's right and we're convinced that other people are wrong, we're wrong. That's wrong. Okay, so this matters because we've all seen the destruction on the earth right now. We all see all the division. We all see things being torn down and apart. And if we don't get this right, we are actually going to be the mouthpiece for disaster. We have been the mouthpiece for the church turning on itself. And we all need to take responsibility for what we say and what we do and how we move in the name of God, how we love, how we put others first. I have five little practical things that I use daily to help my heart be open to love one another, to help my heart to not get off and bitter and really just not be prideful, right? All right, so these, these five things. The first one is this, keep short accounts. To keep short accounts. God doesn't keep a record of our wrongs, and we're not supposed to do that to one another. It feels terrible to be on the other side of that. He says that our sins are as far as the east is from the west. His mercies are new every morning. That's how we're supposed to be towards one another. The second one is this, to assume the best or assume nothing at all, but our, our minds want to move. They want information. They want to put together a theory, a story. 
So if you're going to assume things about people, which you shouldn't do anyways, assume the best. Think of, man, how good could that person possibly be? When you walk up on a group of people and you're suspicious, like, what are they talking about? Are they talking about me? Why are they talking about me? You go, no, you know what? They were probably talking about how great I am. They were probably talking about the things they want to surprise me with because they're my friends and they love me and they have good things for me. Number three, seek to understand. Basically, stop saying what you think and ask other people what they think. Listen. Listen with asking questions and genuinely wanting to know what is going on in someone else and what they could offer you instead of what you can offer them. Love is not prideful. All right, number four, do not jump to conclusions. Proverbs 18, 17 says this, there are two sides to every story. The first one to speak sounds true until you hear the other side and they set the record straight. Do not think you know the whole story ever, ever, especially about people you have never sat down and had a meal with. Politics. All right. Number five. Ask God how he sees this person. This is a big one. Anytime that I need to forgive somebody, somebody has hurt me, I close my eyes and I ask God, how do you see this person? And I sit there until his heart for that person becomes my heart. And it is so humbling. But it is so freeing because unforgiveness just traps me. It locks me up. And so I use this to get my heart to a place where I am authentically forgiving the person for whatever they have done to me. All right. Those things really help me, and if you can't remember those because it's a list, you can just do the golden rule, which is treat others the way you want to be treated. Right? Like when you're engaging in a conversation, is this how I want people talking about me when I'm not around? When you're putting together a theory in your head about the world and the people in it, is this what I want people doing to me? Likely not. How do you want to be loved and love people that way? All right, I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to read another scripture over us for us to just meditate on. All right, so this scripture is Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. God, I thank you for individuality. I thank you for individuals finding their purpose in community. I thank you for the purpose of community. God, I thank you for your heart, and I ask that we would be able to portray who you truly are to the world around us. Give us perseverance. Give us self-control to stand and stay true to our commitment to truly lay our lives down for one another, to give love away freely, to extend trust freely. Help us to not measure people or ourselves. 
Help us to hear what you have to say for other people and move towards them in love. Help us to move towards those we disagree with. Help us to pull up a table for a, a chair at the table for them. Give us the courage to invite them for coffee. I thank you that everyone has something to offer. I want to pray over anyone who's ever felt insignificant. And maybe that's something, uh, just a theme of your life. I just want to pray over you. And I just want to say these words over you. You are not forgotten. You are not beyond belonging. You are not so unique that you need to be on an island in isolation. Your uniqueness is found in community, and I bless you to find your people. I bless you to find your people and to be the people of community that people need to find. Man, I just bless anyone who has felt sidelined in life. I bless you to find your value from God. I bless you to find that value from God. Thank you, God, that you have made us all unique. Give us eyes to see one another, to see the gold, to encourage each other, to have the words to lift each other up and to not tear, tear each other down. God, we repent for making making about making things about anything other than you. We repent for in making idols. We repent for finding our identity in politics or arguments or agendas that just distract us from you. Now, I just want you to, with your eyes closed, I want you to picture, picture people who have hurt you. Maybe you've forgiven them, maybe you haven't. Just close your eyes and picture people who have forgiven you. And ask God, how do you see this person? How do you see this person, God? And I want you to know, as you're saying this, he's saying to you, I see what they did to you. I see the pain. I hear your story. But you don't have to hold them hostage with it. Your story of pain, your hurt, can exist at the same time as you extending forgiveness. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I just declare this over people who have hurt us, over our enemies. For the joy set before us, we will come after you. For the joy set before us, we will extend love to you. We will extend forgiveness to you. We will extend trust to you. We just declare that you are worthy. You are worthy of our love. You are worthy of our forgiveness. No one is too far gone. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame or disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. God, I thank you that you give us love freely. I thank you that you've never given up on us. 
I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your covering. And I just ask that you meet each one of us in our hearts. And let us experience this tangible, overwhelming, one-of-a-kind love that you have for us. Give us the grace to give it away freely. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.